Hey, my name is Noe Elias, and welcome to the Creating a Life by Design podcast. Uh, today, I've got my special guest, Josh Ritchie, here in Orange County, California. Really, uh, really great friend and serial entrepreneur. Uh, he's going to be unpacking his story. But before we uh, dive into these amazing strategies that you can use to live your life on purpose, uh, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to everybody that's been listening and watching on our YouTube channel. Uh, you can continue to support us by leaving comments down below, but also subscribing, hitting that subscribe button so you don't miss a show. But would you do us a favor and go and leave us a review? Reviews are what help us out and help get the word out. And uh, just so thankful for your faithful and loyal support. But I just want to say thanks to Josh for coming on the show, man. I'm so pumped to have you. And this is great because uh, uh, Josh can give you a little bit of background on how we met. Uh, but one of the things I love about doing life with Josh is that... Uh, we're always talking about how we can leverage every square inch of life and uh, really maximizing our time. So today you're going to get stretched, you're going to get challenged, and you're going to get uncomfortable, but that's the goal. We want to help you become better as a result of the time that you've spent with us here on the show. So Josh, welcome. Glad you're here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Um, well, might you unpack how we first met yeah. and uh, just kind of how we came together? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we met about, gosh, it's almost 10 years ago at this point. Mm -hmm. um, thereabouts anyhow. And so, yeah, myself and a few other creative entrepreneurs in Orange County, we put together a speaker series, an event series called Connecting Things. And if you're familiar with Creative Mornings, it's very similar to that. We decided to do our own thing just to have more creative license. And um, one of our mutual friends, Josh Ariza, uh, yep. for one of the months said, hey, uh, we used to meet monthly. He said, hey, my friend Noah would be a great speaker. So we had Noah. And um, Noah was the first and only person to really talk about in their creative, you know, speech or creative talk about his faith. And uh, what really jumped out at me was uh, how it wasn't preachy. It was just more a matter of fact and yeah. kind of weaved, you, Noah weaved his, his faith and the role that his faith played in his work kind of into his talk very seamlessly. And um, it was just kind of a cool, unique way of, of someone just really being honest with everyone and being honest with themselves. And that really jumped out at me um, hmm. as a believer and as someone that uh, never really found uh, at that point, I hadn't really found the way to like include my faith and in who I am and what I do and how I talk about it was in a lot of ways sort of compartmentalized. So I reached out to Noah after we had that session and said, hey, I want to get to know you a bit more. And so, you know, just over time, we've developed a great friendship. So no, it's, kinda, been, it's, kinda high level, it's yeah. been yeah, it's wonderful and lots more to unpack there. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, you weren't always in the position that you are, you're managing and stewarding and owning, um, this amazing, massive agency. Uh, you, you can go into a little bit of your clients and things like that, but it wasn't always that way. Can you talk to us a little bit about kind of your humble beginnings and how it grew from that to what it is now? Uh, I think that'd be help, helpful for listeners and, and viewers just to know that context of, uh, of you were small vision for a while, but then it grew. So unpack that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I think I started my first business back in 2006. It was a, uh, I had this really, uh, silly idea to start a clothing store. Um, so if you remember <laughs> 2006, that was really when the market started to contract, um, in the lead up to the great financial crisis. Uh, and so basically I opened this clothing store, no one, no one came. And so I, I thought, Hey, like, what's another way to get people to my store? Oh, maybe on the internet, I can get people that, you know, wouldn't drive to my store to come check out what I have. So built an mm -hmm. online store. Again, no one came to the online store, the website. So I was like, how do I get people to the website? So 
that's kind of when I started going down the rabbit hole of online marketing. And I think the first book I ever read was the idiot's guide, uh, to online marketing. Mm -hmm. And from there, I just kind of was like hooked on, 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 uh, driving traffic and growing brands online. So, uh, did that for a little while longer. Um, ended up linking up with two of my best friends from college, Ross and Jason. Um, and in 2009, we started this agency. Everything was kind of falling apart around us. The other businesses we were working on, my clothing store was just kind of going down the drain. Um, yeah. One of my partners was a mortgage broker. That was just not working <clears throat> out at the time. Yeah. And we just sort of, yeah, organically said, hey, let's, without a real vision, let's just kind of throw our hats in together and something and kind of figure it out and start doing some work for hire. So our first project was a, was a blog post for a site called the art of manliness. And we got paid like a hundred bucks to write like a 4,000 word blog post. And so when you think about like how long it took us, it was like 40 cents an hour. Um, but it was like the first project. Right. And so from there, we just kind of humbly built and built and built. So, um, over time we just started attracting more, uh, credible clients. We had our first big break around 2010, 2011. Uh, we had somehow, uh, brought on mint.com as a client. They sold to Intuit, which is a major brand. That was a major, like David and Goliath story. And when, when that happened, everyone was like, oh, like mint won and mint got acquired because it's marketing and mm -hmm. who did their marketing? Oh, it was column five. And from there it was just like, boom, every startup, it seemed like wanted to work with us at the time. So we kind of had to grow up quick and kind of learn um, how to run a real business after kind of just winging it and kind of saying, Hey, we want to work together because we're friends. And yeah, the last, the last, you know, 10 years plus, um, has just been about building systems, building processes, uh, trying to build the business so it can last forever, but also in, yeah. to do so in a way that didn't require us to be, you know, seven days a week, 15 hours a day ourselves. And one of the things I'm most proud about is that I still have my two founding business partners, Jason and Ross to this day. So we're celebrating 15 years in January. Um, that's incredible. Who are some, of, who, who are some of your clients now? Yeah. So in the early days, it was kind of just anybody and everybody. Um, I'd say about five, six years ago, we really started to refine our focus and, and niche down. Um, now it's mostly some of the biggest players in the software space. Uh, a lot of our work has sort of a B2B slant to it, but, um, Instacart, SAP, Salesforce, Meta, um, Microsoft, Okta, Asana, like the, the list goes on and on and it's just been mm -hmm. a lot of fun. And one of the coolest things about sort of niching down is that, uh, now we're seen as experts in that space, right? So, um, we're able to sort of leverage what we've done with other clients and then attract work with similar clients. And we're not chasing a bunch of shiny objects. It's more like these are the three or four things we do. And these are the kind of clients we do them for. And it just got really simple and really clear once we figured a lot of that out. That's awesome. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this. This um, I want to go into the questions. And then as in every show, you get to ask me three questions. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that you and I do together is we consult on very special cases. Um, Josh and I have been able to collaborate on some really cool, very, very fun um, uh, short-term projects that have been great. And a lot of that is vision, brand strategy, systems, uh, productivity, um, you name it. There's a whole host of topics there in terms of how to how to maximize one's you know unique genius and creative assets and their business and their product or service. Uh, but the first question I have for you is: How does one change their perspective and approach to risk that allows them to grow from startup to a massive agency? It takes a specific mindset to say, 
Um, I'm going from hobbyist to pro. I'm an, uh, for example, I'm a, uh, or a person could say, I'm a freelance designer. How do I become an agency? You know, <laughs> and your answer is probably going to be something like, well, if you want to go to the agency business and make a large fortune or make a small fortune, bring a large one to start it. But what would be your answer to that is like leaning into that risk of saying, um, what is my mindset requirement towards stepping up to going that big and to grow that big? Yeah, it's a really good question. I don't know if I have a great answer for you. Um, the way I relate to this question and the way I relate, the way I relate to risk is um, I'm 42 years old now. I have four kids. Um, I love my life. It's, it's the way it is because of a lot of the decisions we've made over the last 10 years or so. And now I'm more in like, I wouldn't say I'm in like wealth preservation mode, but I'm in, I'm in various ways sort of de-risking because I do have a lot to lose. But if you go back in time, 15 years to when I was, you know, 27, 28 and was sleeping on people's couches, which is kind of where I was at when we started the business, I had nothing to lose. And yeah. so I was in this cool situation where it was like, you know, on one hand, I could have looked at my lot and been like, oh, everything's not going for me. This sucks. Like I'm broke. I'm in debt. Like. But in a way, it was really beautiful because I literally had nothing to lose and my partners mm -hmm. were in the same boat. And, you know, it took us maybe two or three months before we took any money out of the business after we had some paying clients. And I remember the first time we took money out, it was like a thousand bucks each. And we we're all just like, this is so much money from this thing that we just kind of started and it's pure profit. Yeah. And the light bulb went off like, hey, we can do this. We can scale this. And I think we've been really measured. We've been really more conservative financially speaking when it's come to growth and payouts and so on and so forth we never really wanted to get ahead of our skis but um i think that being able to do anything big requires an ability to assess and take on risk that's healthy but i think that um you are in a sincere ad sincerely advantageous position when you literally had nothing to lose and mm. then as you start to scale and grow it becomes more about like, I'm going to risk everything all the time. And it becomes more about strategic risk taking and strategic risk mitigation, because yeah. not everything is a thing you should be willing to bet the farm on. And also right. I mentioned, you know, shiny object syndrome, you got to be really careful because yeah. every time you take something new on, it's basically you saying, I'm going to do something else that I'm already doing a little bit less good, or I'm going to stop doing something I'm already doing. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of my answer. I don't know if it really speaks to the no, question, it's good. but that's where I go with it. Yeah, and it kind of leads it kind of leads in um kind of leads into this this we we we've talked about it, but in this approach of like emotional intelligence and self-awareness of not signing yourself up for everything. And I think one of the the biggest strategies of the of the enemy especially growing a kingdom portfolio of initiatives and what you're going to do with your time and your talent and your treasure is to get you watered down as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Watered down in your thinking, hey, my approach, watered down in signing up for too many opportunities. If you want to take out a leader, give them everything they've ever wanted. But in your case, as you're like, okay, I've got to be strategic on where I am going to place my bets. Mm -hmm. But it takes a specific awareness. It takes a, a specific amount of ownership for you to be able to, you know, you and other leaders in general that are business owners and operators to say, hey, where's the best use of me? Where isn't the best use of me? What am I going to sign myself up for? That's a that's an awareness and an emotional intelligence. Um, so how did how did you handle that yourself 
I know the answer, but I want to see like, what did you do to, to make sure that you were investing as wisely as possible from 28 years old on and to make sure you're not getting watered down? Yeah, I think, I think the biggest, the biggest kind of change that's happened in my life besides accepting Christ as my savior and getting married and, you know, all the kind of the, the top five lists that people have is, you know, as I've grown in my faith and as I've grown closer to the Lord, I've in a healthy way adjusted how I relate to my business. Like, you know, in the early days when we first met, like I wasn't really serving the Lord. I was like, you know, I was a PK growing up and I was like, yeah, I go to church here and there, but you know, it was very much a back burner thing. Yeah. And at the time my, and I was, I think right about to get married or I just got married. Um, at the time I was like, this is super important, but like, if I'm being honest with anybody, like my business is the most important thing in my life. And it's like, you know, I'm like early, early thirties, managing a team of 70. we got a big office in Orange County, got a big office in New York. We have all these clients. Like, you know, I just thought I was, I thought I was like, you know, pretty cool and like doing something really incredible. And I, I identified with that role and I, that was how I saw myself. And that was how like I related to just the world around me is like, I'm, I'm a, this, I'm an entrepreneur, like I'm successful, whatever yeah. over time. And, and the cool thing is that like my, our success hasn't really waned. It's just my perspective has changed. Now I look at my business as this underwrites our life and yes. there's a role that I have to play at my company, but it's not who I am. Like who I am as a child of God, I'm a leader of this house. I'm a husband of Anna. I'm the father of these four kids. Yeah. I'm a member of this community. I'm an elder in this church. Like I'm a brother of these guys. And it went from being like all of my focus on my business to now my focus is on these other things that are more important. Yes. And the business, the business plays like a supporting role without the business. I got to be honest, like without the business, like a lot of our life and lifestyle becomes sure. harder to come by. Um, but it's like not everything supports the business. Now the business supports everything else. So Josh, I think it's huge. And I'm going to title this show, you know, how you broke the umbilical cord or the, the adulterous affair of career. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which is such a massive one. Did anything really change? You didn't stop what you were doing, but all, all that really shifted was your perspective as to the context of what you put the business in and how you saw your life overall. And where you fit into that with your unique giving. You're, you said, I'm a child of God. My business serves me. I would love to talk about that next question, though, that basically is that tipping point for when you, how do you turn your life and approach to a kingdom portfolio? What was the, what was the tipping point and that switch where you're like, hold on a second, all my identity has been found in career. All your identity has been found in what you do for a living. And you define, you like, you introduce yourself, Hey, you know, I own this agency, but then you're like, Oh no, dude, it's a part of not all in one, all of itself. Right. Yeah. Talk to us about that, that tipping point as to what made you make that shift. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. Um, and I'm glad that you followed up what we just talked about with this question. Cause I'm a big believer in this idea that you can kind of change on your own or God can allow yeah. things to transpire in your life that basically um, will force you to change or you can continue not. And that's probably yeah. not the best way to continue <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah. But um, our first son, who's seven now, um, 
he was born with an incredibly rare idiopathic illness. Idiopathic means they don't know where it comes from and they don't have an explanation for why he has it, but uh, it was called gastroparesis and um, basically it's stomach paralysis. So this little guy was born about six weeks in, uh, my wife realized there's something wrong. He's not feeding, he's not gaining any weight. Um, the next couple of years we spent tons of time, tons of energy, just looking for answers. Mm. Um, just trying to figure out what's going on, figuring out how to basically get this kid to get healthy. And every yeah. doctor we went to, um, basically couldn't tell us anything. And this little boy was surviving off of, you know, those five milliliter droppers that you use like for children's Tylenol. That yeah. was how we were feeding our son with different weight gainers and other calorie supplements. Um, and it would take basically two to three hours a day just to feed him to get enough calories to sustain wow. him. And, wow. um, so severely underweight, severely undernourished. And it got, so it got to the point where we realized we needed to get him a feeding tube. So he had a feeding tube for about three years. We got it out when he was about five and a half. Um, today he's fully healed. Um, Christ healed him. Um, and we had a lot of people standing in faith, standing with wow. us, believing for full and total healing. And it was a gradual process, right? Sometimes when people think of healing, they think it's like, you know, you go to a revival and someone lays hands on you and it's instantaneous. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes healing is more gradual. When yeah. I look back on what happened, I am so grateful that it played out in a more gradual fashion because I needed a lot of time personally to kind of grow up and, and step into the role that my family needed me to be in as a spiritual leader. Um, but when we first realized our son was sick, that was when everything hit me like a ton of bricks. And that was when I started, um, that's when I was broken for, 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 to be a blessing. Right. And to borrow from Alan Fro's book, Broken for Blessing. Um, and I just kind of hit this hit this breaking point where I was like, this is stupid. Like I'm spending every waking hour thinking about business, thinking about how to bring on another client, how to do this, how to do that, our messaging, our market. Like, and I have a sick son. And so going through that process with my wife of, you know, in an early marriage with a little guy trying to figure out, you know, how to take care of him, how to keep him alive it really forced me to just look at things differently. And it was a forcing function of all of that that caused me to, to say, okay, I got to down prioritize some work. And it was really messy. And it was really painful. And I hated it when it first happened. And I felt like something was being taken away from me, but I did my best to be faithful. I did my best to draw near to the Lord. I had thankfully some mentors and strong men in my life, like yourself, like Ryan, like my dad, like a few other guys I really look up to. And I was yeah. able to, I think, do a lot of the right things. I don't think I got everything right, but that was kind of the start of me starting to unwind um, how I related to my work and and ha having my business essentially operate as my mistress. So I'll yeah. spare you all the other details, but that was the start of the, the start of the beginning or the start of the end, however you want to frame it. No, it's, I think it's beautiful. <clears throat> and as hard as that crucible was, it helped shape, but it was kind of your burning bush. It was your road to Damascus. Do you really do believe what you believe? And if so, how is that going to permeate every decision and choice that you make in terms of your filters? Um, talk about what it means to now in the, 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 the portfolio life that you live now. Mm -hmm. um, everything you're, everything you're benefiting from today is because of the seeds you planted over a decade ago. What does it really mean to turn a company into a cause and meaning that's literally just a mind shift for yourself. You're literally living a cause, not just a company. And saying that on, on as the aspect of your company is what it is, and it just 
that it's operating the way it's operating. Mm -hmm. However, the benefits that you're receiving from it, you've turned it into a cause for yourself personally as a family. So kind of unpack what that means in terms of your approach, the way you've shifted your approach on the daily and how others might be able to do that with the current so-called job they have or career that they have. That can flip in one day if somebody decides to do that. Yeah, I think I think for me it wasn't a flipping in one day process. It was a slow and gradual process. And um, like I said before, it was a process of, um, in some cases, with some kicking and screaming, like peeling myself away from how I chose to live for a lot of years. And without knowing why fully or without feeling like it was enjoyable, like just choosing, all right, I'm going to just choose to get in the word. I'm going to choose to pray. I'm going to choose to spend time with these guys. Mm -hmm. I'm going to choose to go to church. I'm going to choose all these things. Um, I'm going to choose to believe that God's going to heal my son, you know, so on and so forth. Um, But I, I think, what really the shift that kind of happened that took a while for me was relating to, as you mentioned, like looking at my work as a cause versus my identity. And, you know, we, we support a number of ministries, you know, we support through tithing our local church, um, shout out to watermark. Um, also acres of love, which is an amazing church or amazing organization, sorry, that rescues orphans. Uh, in South Africa, uh, and mm-hmm. also um, an organization that was founded by some friends of ours in Thailand. My parents were missionaries in Thailand for years. Um, that does some very, very similar work to Acres, um, but in a slightly different capacity. So we're, you know, we're connected to a few different groups doing kingdom work. And I look at my role currently as a business operator with four young kids, just with the stage of life that I'm in right now. I look at myself and my wife Anna. Our roles is as underwriters. Like we're not working full time in professional ministry, but we're coming alongside experts that are doing world class work and we're helping to underwrite. And I relate to my business in a very similar way. Like our business is a, an underwriter of these things. And what's really cool about viewing it in that way is there's two things. One, I relate to the work and try to relate to the work as a good steward, right? Like I can't take this for granted. There's these people that these causes, um, that kind of rely on us. And what's also yeah. cool too is, and this is sort of a, the dichotomy is, um, it's also just, it, it's just an underwriter. Like it's, you know, if, if for some reason this goes away, I just need to find something else to take its place. I'd be fine. Mm-hmm. I believe, you know, in God's providence, I believe that, you know, as we're being faithful, he'll be faithful. He always has been. And so the, the pressure and like the fear that I think a lot of entrepreneurs you know, feel in wondering what if this goes away, like that starts to dissipate when you start to relate to the saying that you've built as like it, it slots in and it serves a purpose, but it's not just who I am. So how could, to that point, how could somebody shift their, their lifestyle approach to, um, the difference between kingdom and comfort? How would you unpack that and how a person could apply that in their life? Yeah, it's it's so interesting. I think when you chase comfort, you're never you're never comfortable at the end of the day, right? You're just like you're what's that saying like chasing the dragon like, you know, there's mm-hmm. only like going to brunch is never going to make you happy. Um going on vacation is never going to make you happy. It might it might be really fun for yeah. a couple hours or a couple of days, but um I think the joy that you experience 
when you know you're doing kingdom work and you're in then living in alignment with your assignment um and the way you kind of rest and the way you're able to sleep at night like that to me is uh that's actually a comfort right and it's counterintuitive mm -hmm. right doing the hard things doing the disciplined things doing the things you're called to do for me like the end result of all that is like ah i can breathe easy and like i can relax yeah. and just sit with myself and and be okay with myself because I, I i believe i'm doing the right things yeah a piece that surpasses all understanding of being in flow mm -hmm. of distributing the blessing as opposed to being um a consumer of it right is deploy it and you and anna and the family have done such a wonderful job of setting that building that legacy for the richie family of saying Hey, we're going to be deployers of the blessing, not just consumers of it. And what I love about this is you didn't divorce your marketplace leadership. You leveraged it. Mm. It wasn't like, oh, in order to be a missionary, I have to go leave and like move to some other country and pick up my whole family and go do it. You were living right here in the heart of Orange County, working the top-notch world-class clients, doing what God's called you to do with your unique genius and more and leveraging that for something which is eternal. It's pretty amazing, dude. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. And, and so I want to speak a little bit to this whole idea of mentorship. If you're, I, I believe if you're following yourself, you're lost. I mean, I think you and I've unpacked that quite a bit that um, most of the folks that we've worked with um, lack structure and lack discipline. And uh, those aren't typically just inherited. And we typically don't see that modeled through parents um, or even people in our workplace. So that has to be imported and it has to be sought out. So uh, like Josh, I am a, and have been a participant of the master's program. Uh, mentorship there has been profoundly impactful in my life, helping me get the structure and what Josh is talking about as well. But Josh, talk to me a little bit about what mentorship really looks like, sharpening your saw. We're going to move a little bit more into productivity as to what viewers could actually apply and um, some some tools they can actually um, gain today. But what does mentorship look like to you? Why is it important? And uh, that whole idea of following yourself, maybe unpack that of how it's applied in your own life. Yeah, so it's it's been really amazing the way that God works behind the scenes and kind of lines things up. Like, um, like us becoming friends, like that wasn't yeah. by accident, I don't believe. And um, you know, our, our shared friend, Ryan Adignati, the founder of acres, like, yeah, I think we both relate to him as, as something of a mentor as well. And I don't yeah. think that you becoming friends with him and then me becoming yeah. friends with him via yeah. you, I don't think either of those were accents as well. And so, um, it's just been really amazing for me just to kind of think on this question just for a second. And sometimes I think on this, um, during downtime, but like I have men in my life. I'm so lucky to have men in my life that I look up to like yourself and Ryan, um, and even like Bob from the master's program that are, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ahead of me, my dad as well, um, who's an amazing man. And then I also have men that are younger than me. And I've, I feel really fortunate to have guys that are older that have kind of been down the road and are a bit further down the road that can speak yeah. into my life and I can listen to them and, mm -hmm. and take to heart what they're sharing. And then I can return the favor by, you know, sharing, you know, the wisdom that I crew and the wisdom that you guys pour into me with, with those that are, you know, still earlier on in, in the journey as well. And so I, I do think it's a, it's a pay it forward thing. Uh, and I don't think that you can ever be a good leader if you can't be a good follower. So I think f the way that I relate to leadership is if you can't have, if you can't be coachable, if you can't 
operate in such a way where you're willing to get better and you're willing to seek out, you know, gaps in your own abilities and understanding, like you're, you're placing a necessary cap on, you know, your own potential and, and how, and how much you can grow. So yeah, I, I think mentorship leadership are incredibly important things. Um, and, and finding people that can kind of pour into you is, is so, so crucial. And I guess the last thing I note on that too, is, it, you know, for me, the way it's played out is I, 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 I tend to have, you know, people that I look up to as mentors, they tend to be older than me, but I also have, you know, a great friendship with our pastor, Ben, who's I think five years younger than me. And I look at him as like a mentor as well. So it's not this thing where like every mentor you have has to be older than you. And what's really cool too, is as you start growing with your mentors and as you start doing life together, it doesn't have to be a one-way street too, right? Where it's like, I only get poured into um, by this person and I only pour into these other people. Like the point of this and the point of doing life together and the point of all of it is, is meant to be more of like a brotherhood um, kind of dynamic versus, you know, a master and apprentice and it's full stop yeah. like that. If that's the nature of a mentor or mentee relationship, it's not as dynamic and as useful as it could be. And totally. so um, I've just enjoyed getting to the point where I, I can have that with a lot of other guys. And it's so cool to think about like where my life is because of that versus where it was 10 years ago when I wasn't serving the Lord. And I was, I think a lot of ways kind of hiding kind of in just like wanting to keep life compartmentalized and, you know, yeah. do my own thing. Yeah. I remember, um, I remember when I came into the master's program, I basically introduced myself at, by what I did for a living. Like, mm -hmm. Hey, I'm a artist publisher and, and I'll never forget at the time, uh, my best friend leaned over. He's like, did you want to, did you want to tell him that you're married and have kids and all this kind of stuff? This is one of the most embarrassing moments of my life because I defied everything. I defined everything on what I did. Mentors. Gosh, I've got them and I, and I have had them for over 30 years. Um, they reveal all the deficits. And I needed that, you know, I, I, I needed to see all the deficits and the blind spots in life of what was to come, what was currently in my life is what was to come, but also the hidden value. I mean, I think great mentors and those type of relationships, mentor and mentee is going to reveal, they can see all around you, you know, you see yourself in the mirror, one dimension, but when you have others around you that can see the potential blind spots and hidden value, mm -hmm. um, that's in spades. But what's so crazy is ego will keep us from going into those rooms to go get it. Um, yeah. I, I appreciate your willingness. You know, um, I, I, I personally leaned into that from a very young age because of the upbringing that I had, but I, I realized that in order for me to find wisdom, I have to also have the willingness to, re, re, you know, um, admit that I am powerless in so many different things and just don't know. And so it's true. The process of going from unconscious incompetence to fully unconsciously competent, like absolutely crushing it. Mm -hmm. um, you don't know that unless you lean in and the smartest time to plant that tree is as early as possible in life. And I, I love what you said before we started on the show, you said, Hey, we're living a life now. You're, you're living a life where you are benefiting from what you planted over 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so I think that just is so profound that you've got all these dividends that you're reaping now. What could you tell viewers that this mentorship type idea, this whole idea of leaning in, getting wisdom, getting understanding, 
and, uh, and, and doing deep roots, not just in the time and the spirit with the Lord, but those that are getting the results in life, in the lifestyle that you want earlier than later. I mean, you did it kind of early, but talk about the benefit of doing that so early and why it's so important to lean in and get over yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's essentially for the reasons that you just mentioned. Right. And I think, I think what gets in the way for a lot of people is, um, I think there's a lot of entitlement out there. I think a lot of people think that they deserve to be successful or to have life play out a, a way for mm -hmm. them that mm -hmm. um, maybe they aren't willing to create and, and put in the hard work to design and mm -hmm. through intention mm -hmm. build themselves. But, um, and that I think plays into like what really works well from a marketing perspective, especially with young people is, you know, these get rich quick schemes or, you know, take this course and you can build a business that within six months, you'll be at 10 grand a month or whatever. Like there's a lot of trope out there. And I think a lot mm -hmm. of people make the mistake of thinking they can rush building a life that is by design and a life that's paying dividends. Um, and you know, you, you got COVID I think, which was a really wild thing with respect to stocks and real estate. Like people saw house values double in three, yeah. four years. And previously it was like maybe 15 years, 20 years before something like that happened. So I think getting away from what the culture and the world says life should be like and how things should play out and just, you know, getting into the Proverbs and, you know, it's, it's throughout the book of Proverbs, um, that Solomon wrote about, like, you need to be diligent. You need to be thinking about the future. You need to be like, you know, mm -hmm. putting in the work, you need to be, mm -hmm. you know, storing oil. You need to be like doing all these sayings that other people mm -hmm. don't want to, you not need to not be chasing women and getting drunk all the time. Like all the things that like the world says, these are the things you should yeah. do. Or and fantasies, how, right? Yeah. And yeah, try, shiny objects in them. Right. And so I would just say that take a long-term perspective and realize that anything that will be worth having, you know, as you get a bit older is going to take at least 10 years to build like 10 years. Like if you're not willing to put 10 years into something and actually build it and actually grind, like mm -hmm. maybe you'd be better off working for someone else or maybe having a job and having a side hustle. That's more of a hobby. But I think to be truly an entrepreneur and like build something of significance, like 10 years is the minimum that's table stakes. Well, uh, I think we unpacked this one time at the lodge, but, uh, you take businesses, you take relationships, mm -hmm. you take initiatives, anything that's like a microwave approach, it heats up super fast and cools off mm -hmm. just as fast. But if you, if you, cook something in the oven, slow burn, really, really hot, really, really well, mm -hmm. it will literally stay warm for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. And, and I love, I love that approach that you have in terms of that slow burn and investing and realizing the bigger and the longer play. So let's switch to that, mm -hmm. this idea of productivity and the idea of upgrades of how you got into these not just ways of thinking, but in ways of living. So creating a life by design, mm -hmm. strategies that can help you live on purpose. You're living on purpose, Josh. It doesn't happen. It doesn't just happen and it doesn't happen by luck. And it didn't fall in your lap. It took you to one thing to find it, took you another thing to grow it, and it took you another thing to keep it. So what are some of your go-to upgrades in life for productivity and getting the outcomes that you're receiving today? Yeah. So I have to first give a plug for the master's program because um, kind of similar to what we were talking about before with like men mentorship is, you know, 
I love having mentors in my life because I can access their wisdom and experience and yeah. not make the same mistakes that they made, but get the lessons, right? It's like a cheat code. Mm -hmm. And the master's exactly. program is really cool because like Bob Shank over the last 30 years or so, right, developed and refined and with your help and with Jeff's help, like more recently, like continue to refine and perfect this system, which is a three-year discipleship training program. And basically 30 years of experience just from that program alone and refinement, yeah. you get access to that and as, as well as Bob's life, right? And all that he's done, yeah. all he's learned, all of his wins, his losses, like it's all baked in this process. And so basically in three years and 12 sessions total, you get this awesome cheat code that gives you all these lessons that you could maybe figure out on your own over the course of 20, 30 years. But like, why yeah. not just do it in three and pay someone and, you know, they're telling you exactly what books to read, exactly how to do different things. And it becomes mm -hmm. these like systems of frameworks and tools that you can use and apply. And you're, you're by, by going through a program like that, you're able to basically get a life's worth of experience in, you know, three years. So I'd say that's that worse, a similar kind of program is a must for anybody that's trying to you know, live by design and seriously live by design, not just say they do. Um, you're not going to get the kind of lifestyle that I have or that you have, or that anyone aspires to really have through just reading, you know, one or two or three self-help books or listening to a book and then seeing what are you recommend on audible. Um, mm. that being said, like that's my kind of foundation. A lot of what I've learned through there, um, some of the productivity hacks that I like now or tools, big fan of time blocking, um, you know, before I, you know, before I go to bed on Sunday night, my whole week's planned out, uh, yeah. usually a couple weeks ahead, like every mm -hmm. hour, every half hour, you know, is accounted for. And I leave a few, you know, windows here and there for, um, some flexibility, but like everything's accounted for and spoken for and plan out my year with our personal lives very similarly. And, you know, people say you can't multitask. I think it's very contextual. So like when I go to the gym, I'm listening to the Bible or I'm listening to a book. Like why, why would, why would you not do that? Right. Um, every time, every time I'm on a call with a coworker or an employee, um, or a partner, I'm on a walk. So like, yeah, I, I get about 10 to 15 step thousand steps a day just while mm -hmm. I'm on phone calls. So I'm not like That's right. having to go for a run and then take work calls. I'm doing it together. I'm getting poured into by the word while I'm lifting, like, just stuff like that, like meal prep, like there's a lot that you can do. Um, one of my other favorite things to do is, you know, I'm a big believer of the morning routine starts the night before. It's like laying my clothes out, having the coffee maker set up so that all I got to do is stumble out into the living room, push the on button, That's right. clothes are there. And just doing little things that make it easier to get started for me can be a huge difference maker. Mm. Yeah, I found, um, uh, I found that if you want extraordinary outcomes, it requires extraordinary disciplines and structure to be able to achieve those outcomes. But most, most folks aren't operating with goals. I mean, they might have dreams of things that they want to accomplish one day, but in terms of goals themselves for you, Josh, and for kind of like what you want to high five to in the next five, 10 years or whatever, um, what, what's the criteria, what's your success criteria? Uh, you've heard that saying, I'm being successful when, but what is your success criteria and how these disciplines that you're imp implementing, what are they helping you achieve in terms of success? 
Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's not one I've thought on a lot, but um, more recently, you know, before we hit record, I was just sharing with Noah that our our third son is two and we just had a baby a month ago. So we're kind of in the process of finding our new operating rhythm. And for me, one big win is us all getting out the door and like it not feeling rushed. Like I don't want my kids to, as they're becoming people, like as they're becoming like young men and a young girl, I don't want them to relate to dad as like, he's always stressed out about time or like getting right. our teeth brushed and getting food. Like, so for me, like a win is we're all hanging out in the morning. I'm not on my phone. I'm not on my laptop. I'm able to be fully present. We're eating breakfast together. We're getting everybody out the door with plenty of time and no one's stressed out. Um, yeah. That to me is a win. Another win is I'm getting home from work and I leave the laptop in the briefcase in the car and it stays there. Yeah. Like, so those are, I would say like my two big, as, as it relates to like my family life, my two big wins. Um, obviously there's other things as well, but like, just maybe because of where I'm at and with the freshness of <laughs> having another kid, like those are the things I really care about right now. Um, and then, you know, obviously, you know, my wife and I hanging out together, enjoying each other's company, um, enjoying my kid's company, my kids enjoying my company. Those are hugely important as well. But um, those are the kind of things I think about now versus like, oh, did my Bitcoin position go up or did, you know, how's my yeah. Tesla stock or whatever? Yeah. Uh, talk to me about uh, real quick, your wife being your number one client, your kids being your number one client. Yeah. I mean, my wife's my best friend. I, I got really fortunate um, to, to meet an amazing woman from a small town in Pennsylvania. And um, we've been together for a little over 10 years, married for eight. Um, and yeah, we're just on the same page. Um, on so many things this morning, like we were kissing each other in the, in the kitchen just to like gross the older two boys out. It's um, the best. It's the best. Yeah. It's just, you know, just trolling them. And you know, my, it was cool. Like Anna just, you know, was saying, you know, I really enjoy hanging out with your dad, even though sometimes I'm not always, um, even though sometimes he's annoying, but like, he's my favorite person to hang out with. And I was like, we were just like affirming each other in front of our kids. And it was just so cool. And like, they don't know what's going on. They don't know that that's what it means to affirm, but like, I want them to be like, my parents, my parents love each other. And, um, you know, that's, that's how we, we try to be, we try not to fight in front of them. But, you know, when it comes to the work we're doing, the kingdom work we're doing, um, you know, we take every decision very seriously and we make every decision together. Um, yeah. and, and yeah, she, I've just been so fortunate to have her kind of by my side in, in so many different ways. And, um, I, th I think us going through the crucible, as you put it, of having a sick son, um, and getting through that and, and, and him realizing the fullness of his healing, like that brought us together in a way that I don't think we'd be close to today if we hadn't gone through an experience like that. And I often tell people when I talk about that, that experience that like, I'm so grateful that we went through a crisis. I wish that it could have been me that suffered physically from that ailment, not my oldest son, but, um, sure. God, God knew what was happening, you know, and, um, I'm just so grateful for it. And I know that, you know, you, you've been through your series of trials. And I think if you navigate those trials well, and you, you come together 
And if you make your faith and your marriage, the most important things, like mm-hmm. that's the way to handle it. And a lot of people don't, unfortunately, and that's when marriages start to fail. Totally. Uh, we're now at the part of the show where you get to ask me three questions if you'd like, or up to three questions, but, uh, it could be one, could be two, but going to open up that time for, uh, to reverse the roles here. You are now the interviewer. Yeah. I, I, I want to ask a couple of these questions back at you, man. Like what are, um, cause I know we, we nerd out on productivity, but I don't think I've ever asked you point Blake. What are some of your favorite productivity upgrades or hacks? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that discipline and it's probably one of the most powerful, but the most powerful ones are, uh, take the most to be able to implement over time. Um, the email and social media, um, are the, are probably two of the biggest time bandits because people treat email, social media, like a slot machine. And, um, mm-hmm. so for me, uh, email and social media at 12 and at four, and now it's getting to the point where it's about four o'clock because I realize that there's very little that happens in that swing in terms of email. And one of the reasons why is, you know, you don't go to your mailbox at your house and try to check the email or your mailbox literally eight, 10, 12, mm-hmm. 20 times a day. So the phone itself is like, okay, how can I leverage technology for what it is I'm trying to do? So the first one I would say is the discipline of social media and email really forces you then to say, okay, well, what am I going to do with my time? Because email typically will be, I'm waiting for somebody to tell me what to do. That's why most people are on email. Mm -hmm. Give me a task. If I check an email, it'll require me to respond to it. If it isn't, if it doesn't come in now, you have to actually discipline your calendar and your time. So what that forces you to do is to really focus on, wow, you went from a time deficit of checking all day to now a time abundance to where, oh, I have time to actually produce the things that I want to produce. So now I form structures around them to protect that time. So example, I'm writing, I'm finishing up the process. One's in edit, one's in design, one's in curation of like multiple books. And in order for those assets to get created, I have to, I really have to protect the time so I can create hyper-focused work. And in order for that to happen, boundaries. Okay. Email, social media. I can't be on it all the time. So those are two, those are, that's one major one that I do. The second one would probably be Calendly, which I know we both use, Mm. but that's a, that's pretty much a virtual assistant. You know, if you hand out your link, you've created, I got a 30 minute call, a 60 minute call, and then I've got a 60 minute coaching paid call. I've got a 30 minute paid coaching call that are on there. And then I've got a five minute, but this is, that just gets me back probably at least five to 10 hours a, a week of just back and forth with people. I just hate being on my phone. I hate text message. Mm. Um, I, I like the art of face to face. I like the art of a voice. And so, um, you know, when you're having to set up meetings and book times, et cetera, it just robs you of productivity on the things that you could really be doing. That is the highest leverage of your time. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Um, and I know we're almost at time here, so I'll just ask no, you. No, you're more, fine. But, you're fine. Um, how did you turn your life approach into a kingdom portfolio? <clears throat> um, well, we uh, that happened because of my mentorship in the master's program. Uh, when Bob was unpacking the whole idea of finances in session six, uh, and then uh, kingdom assignment in session seven, uh, it really boiled down to that time of understanding how it's all going to end. Uh, 
Stephen Covey talks about begin with the end in mind. Well, once you know how your life is going to end, but more specifically, how your life is going to be measured. I hadn't, I mean, you don't know until you know, but once I knew that my life was going to be measured, stepping on the scale of my time, my talent, and my money, and how are those three things going to be um, providing a return on investment? And I even go one step further, say a kingdom return on investment. It's one thing to say, I was a good person. I didn't get in any trouble. I stayed out of hell. I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. But that's all like risk management. What that doesn't talk about is like stepping into partnership with God. The moment I knew how it was going to end, how it was going to be measured, then dictated all the way back to today. What decisions am I going to make today so that I can help my family stand at the judgment seat of Christ saying, we are the richest, most abundant people that I know of in the place that we need to be rich and abundantly wealthy, and that is eternity. And the moment I knew I could convert all of these you know, monopoly dollars of, king, of uh, earthly dollars and convert them to kingdom of stock, that became the most exciting thing to the point where I started teaching the master's program. And then I'm like, all I want to do is help entrepreneurs essentially take their family-owned businesses and turn them into a business as a mission like yourself, what you and Anna are doing, and underwrite the kingdom. And it's a win-win. Life is amazing here. Life is amazing there. And it wasn't like you're missing the mark at all in any areas. So my company took a radical shift. Um, and all it was was this. Instead of judging and basing success on the profit and loss and the profitability mm. of a QuickBooks outputted report, it was basically how... How was our bottom line in terms of kingdom return on mm -hmm. investment and not making God our silent partner? The moment he was full integration, that was a life by design. And then I just wanted to spend the rest of my life building into that. So that's that, that was a tipping point. Got one more question. Okay. Um, last question just came to me. What do you think the thing is, we talked about ego a little bit, but what do you think the thing is stopping people from doing the work to live by design and what would you say to those people a sort of your plea to get them to to shake to shake themselves out of that kind of mentality or thinking so to speak yeah so the question of going all in it, it, you know my book fear hunters is basically like my testimony and the tools to help people with that getting over it and for me, it was, it was this analysis paralysis that, man, am I really going to just spend my whole life fixing myself? Mm. It's like staying in a constant state of healing, right? Like, well, I didn't know what was possible. Oh, example, if I'm going to feel sick and stay in bed all day or depressed or heavy burdened or whatever, because the state of affairs of the world and all that, and let mm. it get to my head. Like, that's just because I don't know what's possible. Mm -hmm. But the moment somebody pulled the curtain back and illuminated what was possible, I was like, oh, wait, excuse me? And they're like, permission granted. Go as big as you want in business. Make as much money as you want to make. Go underwrite that which is eternal. And there is zero ceiling to that. And do it through your unique genius of what God's wired you to do. I'm like, are you serious? That's possible? That's permission granted? Now, here's where I think 
the 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 hit happens for people is right in that moment they go, well, Frick, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a theologian, I I didn't go to seminary. That's what people in the clergy do. That's what that's what pastors do. But then I was like, you know what? I believe that the 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 Christian businessman and woman is the most underserved, under maximized missionary on the planet. I'm going to use business as a mission to go reach the world. And then here's the big one. God wants to use each and every one of our stories, mm-hmm. our personal testimony, as a way, way to help heal and to bring hope of his love. And so that's where I think the ego gets in the way. Mm-hmm. Who would want to hear my story? Who would want to hear the underbelly of where I blew it? The horrible things I went through, whatever. Hey, bottom line is we're all broken people. We're all sinners. We've all missed the mark. But the cool part is we can leverage those bruises, those scrapes, those scars. And those, those wounds are bragging rights for what God has done. You know, And so that's what makes me get over the ego as fast as possible, because this, if we don't step out, if we don't step out, we're missing the mark of knowing that we do have something special. We do have the hope that lives in us, but we're literally putting it under a bush, bushel, but we've been told to go shine. So that's my hope and prayer for somebody that's listening. It's a nice little mic drop moment at the end of the pod. <laughs> that's good stuff, man. <laughs> Well, dude, I can't thank you enough for being on the uh, being on the show. Uh, we're going to have in the show notes of how you can get um, in touch with Josh, uh, Instagram, his links, uh, the way you can check out um, uh, just ways that you can on ramp to him. But uh, we just want to uh, say thanks for you know being on the show. Go ahead and make sure that you subscribe. Also, leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you, as well as go and rate the show. We'd be so uh, appreciative of that. Uh, Josh is an extraordinary human being. I'm grateful to do life with him. Uh, make sure you, you track him, watch him. And, uh, we're just so grateful that you're, you're here on the show today, Josh blessings to you and Anna and the family. And, uh, thanks so much for being here, man. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Noah. it was awesome. You got it. All right. See you, buddy.